Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew. Today, Pastor Matthew continues in the Bible series in the book of 1 John with this message entitled, The Heavenly Defender, preached December the 17th, 2000. I want to speak to you from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Heavenly Defender. Nowadays, it is difficult for anyone to discover what Christmas season stands for. The scripture tells us that Christmas stands for God's giving of a gift. The gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The gift of the heavenly treasure par excellence. And it's a gift that deals with our deepest need. The eternal Son of God became incarnate. And the apostle in his epistle tells us that he became incarnate to destroy the works of the devil. Chapter 3 verse 8. He became incarnate that to take away our sins. He became incarnate that we may have fellowship with God. He became incarnate that through him we may have fellowship with the people of God. He became incarnate that we may have fullness of joy. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So the first point we want to look at is the purpose of his writing this epistle. There are several purposes, of course. The major one is disclosed to us in chapter 5 and verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So it is written to God's people. But there is another purpose, and that is given here, that you may not sin. He says, my dear children, St. John the Apostle calls the believers My dear children, he is the aged apostle pastor, maybe the only living apostle who walked with Jesus Christ, who heard his voice, who handled him, who saw him before and after his resurrection. He is full of affection. For the people of God. And that affection 
can be seen in his address. My dear children, according to William Barclay, these words, technia mu, my little children, are full of caress, love, affection. He is writing to God's people for the purpose that they may not sin. Now notice that they may not sin is put in the aorist tense in the Greek language. And it means that they may not commit a sin. Not that they may not continue on a sinful course of life. God has delivered us from the sphere of that type of life. But the issue here is that they may not commit a sin. Sin, we are told by this apostle, is lawlessness, wickedness. We must ask the question, why should Christians not commit a sin? First, God condemns it. That's why. That should be a sufficient reason. Second, sin is wrong in and of itself. Third, sin dishonors the gospel, its claim and its power. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Fourthly, sin breaks fellowship with God and with one another. And we see that all the time. The person who sins is cut off from fellowship with God. But not only that, he is cut off from fellowship with the people of God. Number six, sin is inconsistent with our profession. As Christians, we are to love righteousness and we hate wickedness. As Christians, we desire to be delivered from sin. Therefore, sin is inconsistent with our Christian profession. Number seven. Sin leads to a defiled conscience. Number eight. Sin leads to doubt. So that we are unable to pray. To pray we must pray in faith. The person who sins. Cannot pray. In faith. Number nine. Sin leads to hopelessness. He is accused. By the devil. Number ten. Sin leads to divine discipline. Of his people. Resulting in. Weakness. Sickness. And also death. Number 11. Sin. Contradicts God. And robs God of his glory. Because sin is lawlessness. It is a transgression of his law. So he says, I write these things that you may not commit a sin. You see in chapter 1 verse 9, 
Paul said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one can misunderstand that glorious declaration. Even so, one can misunderstand the declaration of St. Paul in Romans 5 and verse 20, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. And so one can come to a conclusion. Why not continue in sin? It's easy. Forgiveness is granted if we confess. Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? The answer of St. Paul is that God forbid. The goal of Christian life is perfection. That we may not sin. That we may not commit a sin. That we may not transgress God's law. That's the goal of Christian life. Now, is this possible for Christians? The answer is yes. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. A Christian is freed from the dominion of sin. An unbeliever lives in the sphere of sin. He can only do one thing, that is sin. He is born a sinner and he practices sin. He is characterized by total inability, moral inability, non posse, non pecare. But God in Jesus Christ has delivered us, has set us free, and therefore we are now able not to sin. That is the glorious experience of every true Christian who is born of God in whose soul the divine seed of eternal life is planted and one day we shall come to a condition in which it will be impossible for us to sin in other words St. John wants us to know that you can live a holy life through the freedom and power we receive from God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we are a people in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. And we are a people to whom God has given the light of his word. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to walk in the light of the Holy Scripture. We can walk in the way of holiness unto perfection. But we must, if we are Christians, cooperate with God. We must actively pursue holiness. 
We must exercise our freedom for holiness. And so we read the so many scriptures in the New Testament that tells us concerning our responsibility to actively pursue holiness. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self. Isn't that something? An unbeliever cannot put off the old way of life. But we can put off the old way of life. And verse 24, and to put on the new self created To be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off and put on. This is freedom. Or Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed not only in my presence. But now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Work out. Christian life is not some passivity. It is activity. It is cooperation with the Holy Spirit of God. It is obedience to the will of God with the freedom and power God has given us. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Listen to the language. Put to death. Kill. Therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality. Impurity and so on. In other words we are asked to kill. Because we have the freedom to kill. We have the power to kill. And we have the desire implanted within us to do so. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this. You must flee. Elsewhere we are told, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. And verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. Fight. Flee. These are things we are asked to do as Christians. In Romans 6 verse 11. Count yourselves dead to sin. But alive to God in Jesus Christ. In other words understand. Know what has happened. Your union with Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 13. St. Paul tells us. By the Holy Spirit. Put to death. The misdeeds of the body. In other words, activity, cooperation, fight, put to death, flee, resist. The life of God in the soul of man, the eternal life we have received from Jesus Christ. Now listen, church, the eternal life. We have received from Jesus Christ. 
manifests itself powerfully in our being. In its opposition to evil. And in its love for righteousness and for the glory of God. In other words, if we are truly born of God, if we have received eternal life, if the seed of God is planted in our being, it sprouts, it grows, it manifests itself in its opposition to evil and in its desire to do righteousness. So, turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. This is what John speaks about us. We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. Born of God, that's the key. Born of God. See, people can make claims. That doesn't mean anything. It can be empty profession, false profession. But we are talking about people who are born of God. People in whom the life of God is implanted. And that life manifests itself in its vital opposition to evil. And in its determination to do the will of God. True Christians are not perfect in this life. But they move toward perfection. Which we arrive at when Jesus Christ returns. We are told about this in this epistle chapter 3 and verse 2. When we will arrive at perfection. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears we shall be like him. Without sin and without evil. For we shall see him as he is. That's the day of perfection. But we are on the road to perfection. And daily we progress in the path of holiness. In the path of righteousness. And so we must reject with all our heart the philosophy of antinomianism. Which is lawlessnessism. Law is God's law. It is holy. It is spiritual. It is good. So antinomianism is anti-Godism. There are various kinds of antinomianism is out there. There is the dualistic antinomianism. Which expresses itself this way. That salvation is for the soul only. What our body does is irrelevant. It is dualistic antinomianism. Then there is the spiritual antinomianism. I'm spirit filled. I enjoy therefore freedom from the law. Not only as a way of salvation... But I enjoy freedom from the law also as a guide to conduct. 
I am led by this Holy Spirit. I am not led by the law. I somehow transcend the law, the scriptures, the will of God. Because I have Holy Ghost in me. Then there is this in Christ antinomianism. The claim people make that I am in Christ by faith. So when God looks upon me, he sees Christ. And Christ is perfect. So my behavior makes no difference. I am united with Christ. And then there is the dispensational antinomianism. They say we live in this dispensation of grace. So keeping of the moral law is at no stage necessary. Then there is the intentional antinomianism. Antinomianism in reference to intention. It goes like this. As long as my motivation, my intention is love, the law of God may be disregarded. It's all false. It's all wrong. The apostle John says, my dear loved ones, my dear children, As your aged pastor who is concerned about your welfare, I am writing these things to you that you may not commit a sin. That you go on and on in the way of holiness unto perfection. But then he says this, Eantis hamarte, but if anyone, again in the aorist tense, Commits a sin. But if anyone commits a sin. See our goal is that we may not commit a sin. And I explain to you that we can live in obedience to God. Because his son has set us free. Because we have life of God in the soul of man. Because his Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have been delivered from the dominion of sin. We have been delivered from the sphere of sin. We are no longer under the control of the evil one. We are born of God. We are also given the Holy Spirit. So it is possible for us not to sin. But he is a pastor. And he says, but if we are tempted, and if we fell into a sin, Pastor John, do we have any hope of restoration? This is the question that he faces. Pastor John, do we lose our salvation? Would we cease to be children of God? Yes, Pastor, I am conscious of my sin. I repent of my sin. I confess my sin. I forsake my sin. But my question is, is there any hope for me because I committed a sin? And the apostle John, the great 
aged pastor gives great encouragement and great hope. And we must receive that. Let's turn to what another apostle said in reference to this issue. Uh, St. Paul in Galatians chapter 6. This idea is the apostolic doctrine. All apostles taught this. Galatians 6 beginning with verse 1. Brothers if someone is caught in a sin. He's speaking about God's people. He's not speaking about the unbelievers who can only sin. He's never caught in a sin. He's always sinning. And I'm sure there are people here who are unbelievers. You are always sinning. You cannot do one thing that is not sin. But I'm saying, along with St. Paul, Christians may commit a sin. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. In other words, you can be restored. Now, I'm not speaking about somebody who commits a sin and refuses to repent, refuses to acknowledge, refuses to forsake. Refuses to feel any pain. I'm not speaking about that. That person is not a Christian. I am speaking about someone who committed a sin. And he is miserable. And he is very conscious of it. And he is repenting. He is forsaking. But he is troubled in his conscience. Whether God would accept him. Whether God would restore him. Whether he could once again see the sunshine in the face of the Heavenly Father. This is the question. And the answer is, yeah, God will restore you. Or turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 19. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth. Brothers. These are Christians. They are brothers. They are God's people. And here is the possibility. One of you may wander away from the path of truth and righteousness. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. That's restoration. He can be brought back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So there is that great possibility. Or turn to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. Here it is. Another place we are told about this great possibility of restoration. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death. See, there are different kinds of sin. Here is a sin that a person committed that, doesn't, that does not lead to death. The sin that leads to death is the refusal to confess that the eternal God has come in human flesh. It is a denial of incarnation. That is the sin that leads to death. It is a creedal denial of the orthodox faith. But if anyone sees his brother commits a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God, God will give him life. 
So there is great hope for a Christian who committed a sin but is repenting and is longing to be restored. A true Christian who trusted in Jesus Christ is justified forever. God is no longer his judge. God is his father and he is his beloved child. When such a Christian sins, his fellowship with the father is cut off. Not relationship, but fellowship. His heart condemns him. He has no confidence toward God. He is truly miserable, unlike an unbeliever. He longs for restoration. And Pastor John says... Such a person has a defender in heaven before the Father. And so point number two is this heavenly defender. Point number one was purpose, but now the parakletos, heavenly defender. Take a look at it. But if anyone does sin... But if anyone does sin, Paracleton Ekomen, we have a paraclete. We have. We possess. He belongs to us. Even now, in our time of need. This paraclete, this heavenly defender, is our present possession. We have this person as a gift from God to defend us. Notice St. John includes himself, we have, because he himself is not perfect. He needs a defender. Notice, so it is not all that grammatical. If anyone sins and then he uses first person plural, we have. We have. He needs it too. And we all need it. And we have it. As a gift. God sent him. He is ours. Our defender. We all need him. We all have him. He is the father's gift. We have Paracletos. Paraclete. Only Apostle John uses this word. Parakletos. Here as well as in the Gospel of John. And we use the word in Latin advocatus. From which we have English advocate. It comes from the Greek word parakaleo. Which means to encourage, to comfort. But this parakletos has come to mean this. A friend called alongside to help in our defense. A friend called alongside to help in our defense. He is not a stranger to us. He is our friend. John chapter 15, 14 and 15. Jesus Christ calls the apostles no longer as servants. You are my friends. And let me tell you, he is our friend. He's not a stranger to us. He's our friend. But not only that, he's not a stranger to God the Father. 
And so we are told we have a paraclete prostone patera, which actually means in active fellowship with the Father. Face to face with the Father. He's not a stranger to God. And he's not a stranger to us. He is in intimate communion with the Father from all eternity. And he came down here and he went back into the same communion. He is the Father's one and only Son. He is the beloved of the Father. He is our friend, called alongside as our defense attorney. And let me tell you, he is the most powerful defense attorney in the whole universe. His defense is always successful and effectual. Jesus never fails in his defense of his people. He defends us against our accuser, the devil. And he defends us before our heavenly father. And he's called Jesus Christ. He's the divine Christ. He's the eternal son of God. He is God who became Jesus of history. The Virgin Mary conceived him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born of Virgin Mary. He grew up in Nazareth. He lived a life of perfect obedience. He was without sin. St. John tells us in chapter 3 verse 5. Yet he was crucified for our sins. He was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. Yet his dead body did not see corruption we are told. This Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. This Jesus is Lord of all. He has authority. All authority. In heaven and on earth. He is God man. The Anthropos. He is our savior. He is our friend. He is our paraclete. He is our defense attorney. And not only that. We are told the righteous one. You see if anyone sins. We have a paraclete, Jesus Christ, being righteous. He is righteous. You see, we are told the Father is righteous in chapter 1, verse 9. And in the high, high priestly prayer, Jesus addresses his Father as Pater, righteous Father. So the father is righteous and the son is righteous. An unrighteous defense attorney cannot defend us in the court of a righteous heavenly father. Praise be to God. Now we have a righteous attorney. And the Bible speaks about it. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. In John 8 and verse 46 Jesus Christ asks our people, can anyone convict me of sin? And St. Peter tells us, for Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous 
to bring you to God. There's no question that the New Testament tells us, as well as the Old Testament, that he is righteous. There is no sin in him. He defends us according to God's righteous law. He defends us according to God's nature as light. He does not ask God to set aside his law. The righteous Jesus Christ defends us in righteousness. This advocate shall never deny our sin. He will not use any excuse. He will not plead extenuating circumstances. He would say that he violated your law and he is guilty and he is defiled. But he defends us not on the basis of anything good in us but on the basis of everything that is good in him. He defends on the basis of judgment. He suffered in behalf of our sins. The basis of his defense is this. That Jesus Christ offered himself once for all. As a propitiatory sacrifice to turn God's just wrath away from us. That he may be gracious to sinners and forgive their sins. That he may be just and justifier of those who believe in Jesus Christ. So the basis for his successful defense of us is not anything in the sinners. The basis is Christ's own atoning sacrifice. Turn to chapter 1 verse 7. The blood of Jesus. That's the historical person. The blood of Jesus. God incarnate, his son. Here it is, two natures coming together in one person. The divine son took upon himself human nature and St. John calls him the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. You know, while on earth, he interceded for St. Peter. Remember that? Luke 22 and verse 32. I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. It's effectual. And in John 17 and verse 9. The Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for the apostles. And in John 17 verse 20. He intercedes to God the Father in reference to us. And he is in heaven right now. As our defender. We have a defender. Hallelujah. It's God's gift to us. Turn to the book of Hebrews and let me read to you from chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Isn't that wonderful? Save completely those who come to God through him because he always, hallelujah, he always lives to intercede for them. One more scripture. Turn to Romans 8 and verse 34. Romans 8 and verse 34. Here we read. Who is he that condemns? Satan. Unbelievers of the world. 
who is he that condemns church people who is he that condemns the answer is given Christ Jesus who died see the basis for the advocacy Christ Jesus died more than that who was raised to life ever lives for what purpose he is at the right hand of god and is also interceding for us the heavenly defender i write these things to you that you may not sin but if anyone sins we have a paraclete before the father jesus christ the righteous one he himself is our propitiation in reference to our sins not only ours but of the whole world let's thank god for freedom from the dominion of sin isn't that we are different from the people of the world we have been redeemed we are set free we are god's people we walk in the way of righteousness and holiness we do not have to sin we can live a holy life And let me tell you again holiness is the manifestation of the eternal life in our being that seed of god implanted in us perfection is our goal and we shall be perfect when we see him face to face when he appears again but thank god for this word of encouragement for those who stumble and fall those who wander from the truth The apostle John the great pastor the aged pastor says despair not there is hope for you God himself has provided for you a mighty paraclete the most powerful defense attorney in the entire universe he is righteous he has taken your case the righteous has died for the unrighteous the wounds of Jesus will prevail before our heavenly father who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness i want to tell you if you committed a sin despair not your sins shall be forgiven you shall be restored to fellowship with the father you shall again be filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory 